0: my tongue to speak thy truth. And Father, I feel so inadequate to try and tackle this portion of the psalm. And Father, frankly, I feel so inadequate each and every week to stand before your people and to open up the scriptures to them. I only do so through the help of your Holy Spirit. So Father, today I pray that Your spirit would be actively at work both in me and in all of us. And that we would pay particular attention to what the psalmist is saying here. As I said in my opening prayer, these are your words from your mouth, Lord, to us, to your people, to your children, and they are for our good. And Father, as we hear them and apply them, we glorify you. So help us this morning. Help me this morning, Father. Please, please, please help me to make my speech plain, my thoughts logical, my spirit humble. And I ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever had someone say to you, what were you thinking? And maybe your reply was, I wasn't thinking. And sadly, we live, by and large, in a non-thinking culture. Many let others do their thinking for them, and so they hear some talking head spout something on the Internet or on uh, cable news or some other place, and they go out and they repeat it. Still others read some tripe on social media and uh, they go out and thoughtlessly and mindlessly repeat what they've heard. But consider this, if God did not want us to think for ourselves, why did he give each one of us a brain? And does God care about our thoughts? Does God care what we think about? Now hopefully you're saying, well, Why even ask that question because the answer is so obvious? Well, in case you're wondering, yes, God does care about what we think about. God does care about our thoughts. God does care about how we use our minds. God created us and he gave us our minds so that we could learn about him, so that we could experience him, so that we could come to love him. Never ever forget the highest and best use of your mind is to think deeply about God and the greatness of God. There are a lot of subjects out there to which you could apply your brain to. But there's none better. There's none more valuable. There's none more stretching than thoughts about our great God. And remember that Jesus identified the greatest commandment as the commandment to love the Lord our God with all, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I wonder if you realize that every sin starts in the mind. Every sin starts with a thought. Say, prove it, gladly. What started the downfall of Satan? Satan. It started with his thinking. It started with the way that he thought. Listen to Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14. You, speaking to Satan, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. His evil desires started in his heart. His downfall began with his thinking. Why did God judge the world with a flood? Well, the answer is found in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Thoughts lead to actions. And when the intentions of man's heart became continually evil, God judged the world. Why? Because evil thoughts lead to evil actions. So it's so important about what we allow ourselves to think about. Now, you may be wondering, and I wouldn't blame you, you may be wondering, how does any of this connect to Psalm 119? How does this connect to this particular portion of Psalm 119? Well, here's the connection. In this portion of the psalm, the psalmist is expressing his dedication to the Word of God. Now, let me show you where that comes from. Look at verse 115. Depart from me, you evildoers. Why? That I may keep the commandments of my God. So he expresses his dedication to God's word when he says to the evildoers, Depart from me. Now why does he want them to depart from him? In other words, why does he want to create some separation between those who practice evil and himself. Well, it's obvious he does so so that he can keep, so that he can be loyal, so that he can be obedient to the commands of God. He does so so that he can obey the word of God. But we still haven't answered the question of where does his dedication to God's word begin? Well... The answer to that question is found in verse 113. It begins with the way that he thinks. It begins with the way that he uses his mind. Now notice verse 113. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Now let's be honest. We could easily become fixated on that word hate and miss the point the psalmist makes. And that is my fear for you. That you fixate on the word hate to the degree that you miss the point the psalmist is trying to convey to us. And we may read this verse and we may think to ourselves how could someone who professes to love God to the degree that he loves God, and how could someone who tells us that he meditates on God's law? all the day, how could he use a word like hate? How could he express hate? And we think, well, after all, didn't Jesus tell us that we need to love our enemies? And didn't Jesus tell us that we need to love those who hate us? And you'd be right on both accounts. Jesus did and teach us that we are to love our enemies and that we are to love those who hate us. But again, let me bring your attention back. If we we solely focus, if we get lost, if we get hung up on the word hate, we are going to miss the point the psalmist makes here. Our understanding, our attention, needs to be focused on what he is communicating to us when he declares that he hates the double-minded. So what is he communicating to us? Here it is. He is communicating to us the same thought in verse 115, he is clearly communicating to us his do- total dedication to the Word of God. But I don't want your mind to wander here. So before we explore this any further, let's briefly talk about the subject of hate in the Scriptures. When the psalmist says that he hates the double-minded, his words may sound a little jarring to us. And part of the reason that they sound kind of rough is because of the fall. Charles Bridges said this. He said, The fall of man has misplaced his affections. Love was originally made for God and his law, and hatred for sin. That's important. Let me say it again. Love was originally made for God and his law and hatred for sin. He goes on to say, now a man loves what he ought to hate and he hates what he ought to love. So the psalmist, through his growth in his love for God, and through his continual meditation on God's law, he has begun to understand that he has had misplaced affections. And through his meditating on God's law, he has grown in his love not only for God's word, but he's also grown in his love for God. We could say that through this process, he has more closely aligned his affections with the way God originally created them to be. So when he says, I hate the double-minded, he is not sinning. He is actually bringing us back to the way it should have been at creation. And hopefully I can show you that. Hate, and and please stick with me, hate is not always wrong. Hate is not always wrong. But I don't want you to take my word for it. Go home, turn on your computer, or if you're old school like me, pull out your concordance from your shelf, and look up the word hate. Hate. And you're going to find that it's mentioned many times in Scripture. And particularly, it's used many times in reference to things that God hates. If we are God's children, we have become partakers of what? The divine nature. Now listen carefully. So if there are things that God hates... So should we. Okay. For instance, we should hate sin. We should hate sin. God hates it, therefore we should hate it. Let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. In particular, in the book of Proverbs, we learn that there are six things that God what? Hates. And the seventh is an abomination to him. Also in the book of Proverbs, we learn that God hates perverted speech. Again, the book of Proverbs teaches us that the righteous hate falsehood. Why? Because God hates falsehood. God hates lying. Ecclesiastes 3.8, the preacher tells us there's a time to love and a time to do what? A time to hate. In Isaiah, God says that he hates robbery and wrong. In Amos 5.16, we are instructed to hate evil and love good. And perhaps one of the more, well, I won't say that, but from Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. One example from the New Testament, from the lips of Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and, his, and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Hate is used in various ways in the scriptures with nuanced definitions of what it means. Okay. But here's what I want. Hey, let me give you two blanket summary statements. There is no... Blanket provision against hate in the scriptures. Likewise, there is no blanket provision that we are to love everything in the scriptures. So just kind of keep that in mind. And I challenge you, go home and study it. Try and wrap your mind around it. It will do you good. But let's get back to the stanza here. Why, we're still wondering why, the psalmist uses such strong language. Well, Let's think about the words love and hate. Now what do we know about these two words? Well, we know that they are opposites and they describe opposite emotions. It's like north and south and east and west. What are they? They are opposites. Up is the opposite of down. Hot is the opposite of cold. And hate is the opposite of love. So remember that the theme of this portion of the psalm, of this stanza, is his dedication to God's word. Therefore, in order to love God's law, in order to love God's word, by definition, there are things that he must hate. Okay? So to love God's law is to hate sin. So how do you and I come to the place where we hate sin? Where you despise sin? Where you want nothing to do with sin? Well, that's what we've been seeing in these last couple of stanzas. You arrive at this point, you grow into holding this point of view as you grow in your love for God. As you meditate on God's word, you grow in your love for God. As you grow in your love for God, you grow in your love for God's word. And as you grow in your love for God and you grow in your love for God's word, guess what the opposite reaction is? You hate sin. You hate sin. You hate sin. If you don't hate sin like you should hate sin, the reality is you don't love God the way that you should love God you say i don't think i like that i know i don't like it but that's the biblical reality therefore anything that holds the potential to harm the psalmist's dedication to god and god's word or holds the potential to distract him from god's word he wants to stay clear of see that's what we need to, that's why we need to understand uh, what the psalmist is saying here. Now, he gives, he gives an illustration of it right here in the same stanza. Again, in verse 115, look at verse 115. Depart from me, you, you evildoers. Is he just a nasty person? He just doesn't want to have anything to do with him? Is he just some Christian curmudgeon? No, 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 no that's not what he's saying here. He says, this is why I want to depart from the evildoers, so that I can keep the commandments of my God. He understands to be dedicated to God and to obey God's word, to love God and to love God's word to the degree that we all should aspire to. He understands that there are people, there are things, There are activities that he must put distance between them and himself. Let's take this idea of opposites one step further. Could we say that a double-minded person is dedicated to the word of God? Again, by definition, no, we couldn't say that. By definition, you can't be dedicated if you're double-minded. To be double-minded means that your thoughts aren't fixed on any one thing. And to be dedicated to something is to be dedicated to that one thing. And in this case, it's the word of God. He wants to fix his thoughts on the word of God. What does the Bible say about double-mindedness? Well, it's addressed a couple of times in scripture using the exact word. For instance, in James, we find it twice. Listen to James chapter one. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? He is a double-minded man and unstable in all his ways. If you're a double-minded person, what does James say? You're not really a person of strong faith. And your double-mindedness directly impacts the effectiveness of your prayer life but he addresses it again in James chapter four. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Single-mindedness, single purpose. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Do you see the contrast here? So based upon what we, we read here in James, does the Bible portray double-mindedness in a positive light. Is it a commendable character quality? No, it's not. In fact, James makes it clear that the double-minded person has a heart problem. You see that? He says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. You've got a divided heart. You've got a heart problem. You should be focused, solely focused on God, but you're not. Purify your hearts. How about this? I, I, this is one of, one of my favorite accounts in Scripture, but you remember that the story, the Old Testament story between Elijah, that great prophet of Israel, and his uh, encounter with the 450 prophets of Baal? Do you remember what he said to the people of Israel? Here's what he said. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the last part of the verse says, and the people did not answer him a word. The people of Israel were double-minded. And how does Elijah describe them? It's a great word picture. He says, you're just limping along. You're not making any progress. You don't know which way to go. And even when he confronted them about their double-mindedness, they could not decide. They didn't say a word. Now, if we know anything about Elijah, we know he wasn't double-minded, right? I mean, he's one guy squaring off against 450 false prophets of Baal. But he knew the odds were in his favor. Why? Because he was single-minded in his devotion to God. And God displayed his greatness, his glory, and his power on that day. So based upon what we read from James, and based upon what we read from Elijah, do you believe that it's God's will, listen carefully, Do you believe that it's God's will, or to say it another way, do you believe that that God's okay with you and I being double-minded? Well, based upon the evidence that we've just read in the scriptures, I have no problem saying with complete confidence that it is not God's will for his children to be double-minded. Therefore, if something is not God's will, what is it? Begins with an S, ends with an N. Has an I in the middle. Sin. Okay. Therefore, to be double minded is a sin. James said, whatever is. Not of faith is what? Sin. James told the double-minded to purify their hearts. So, does God hate sin? Yes. Should we hate sin? Yes. Then we should hate. We should have an aversion to being double-minded. Remember I said a couple weeks ago that every Christian should have the goal of arriving at the same level of love for God and for God's word so that it too becomes our meditation all the day just like the psalmist. In order to achieve that goal, we must have the same level of dedication to God and his word as the psalmist does. And to be dedicated to God's law, to be dedicated to God, it rules out being double-minded. We must be single-minded in the pursuit of that goal. The psalmist knows he understands that he cannot be double-minded. He can't be dedicated to God's word. He can't be double-minded and be dedicated to God's word at the same time. He can't do it. You can't do it. If he is double-minded, he will not love God's word as he desires to love God's word. And in order for him to achieve the ultimate level of love for God, in God's word, he must hate the double-minded. Okay. Now, the word hate can mean a couple of different things. It can mean that we have an intense dislike for someone or something. For example, you might say, I hate tacos. Now, why anybody would say that, I don't know, but you, you might say that. You could say, I hate cats, and I would completely understand that. Or you could say, I hate the Michigan Wolverines, and we would all stand up and say, yes, if you're a Buckeye fan, right? And when you say things like that, you're not necessarily making a moral judgment, are you? You're simply expressing your dislike for tacos or cats or Michigan Wolverines. But the word hate can also mean to have an aversion towards someone or something and in this case, the psalmist, when he says that he hates the double-minded, he is saying that he has an aversion to them. What he's saying is, I do not want to be like them. Because if I become like them, I'm not going to love God and love God's word the way that I desire to. So he's not wishing anyone ill. He is not hoping that bad things come to them. He is simply stating that they exhibit a characteristic that at all cost, he wants to avoid. And because he loves God, and because he loves God's law, he wants to remove anything and everything in his life that would distract him from obeying God's word. He wants to avoid and to remove anything that has the ability, that holds the potential of harming or weakening his commitment to God's law. He doesn't want the uncertainty and the lack of faith displayed by the double-minded to become a problem for him. Nor does he want the temptation that would naturally arise from his close connection to evildoers to become a problem for him. Listen to me. I'm not saying you can't have any unsaved friends. That's not what we're saying here. But that friendship, that association, can only go so far until it may become a potential problem if you have the goal of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the point. Use your mind. Think it through. When you think about it, the, 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 the psalmist is displaying great wisdom and discernment, isn't he? The psalmist recognizes true value. That's, a, that's the problem that we have. Because of the fall, we don't recognize true value, do we? We love all the wrong things and hate all the right things. It's just, it's just we're, all, we're all confused. He understands that there's no one more valuable than God, and there's nothing more valuable to him than God's word. Psalm 19.10, more to be desired, talking about God's word. Are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb? He said earlier in the same psalm, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And see, when you and I recognize the value of God's word, you know what we will willingly and gladly do? We'll remove all these other things that have the potential to weaken our love for God and his word. We will willingly and gladly remove those things that keep us from the right level of dedication to God and his word. And I have to admit that my admiration for the psalmist grows every week. His dedication to obey God's word, his commitment to obey, to live out, to put into practice the truth of God's word, you know what it does? Here's why I admire him, because it helps him make difficult decisions, And we all struggle with making these difficult decisions, don't we? I'm afraid at times we're more concerned about offending others than we are about offending God. The psalmist didn't have that problem, he knew who he was, he knew what he wanted to achieve. And that knowledge, that determination, that dedication led him to make difficult decisions easily. We know from the standard that he's willing to put some distance between himself and others who don't have the same level of commitment and dedication. He understands that he must be careful about his associations, if he wants to achieve the level of spirituality that he desires and that he knows pleases the Lord? We have to ask ourselves, what about us? Who or what are we allowing in our lives that is keeping us from achieving the level of dedication that the psalmist has to God's word and his love for God. We, we really can say this. We, I think we can sum it up with this one statement. The psalmist values his relationship with God above all other relationships. That's the long and short of it. His relationship to God was more important to him than his relationship with anybody else. Now, that doesn't mean that you treat everybody else like dirt so you can express your love to God. No. No. In fact, if you achieve, if you work towards this level of dedication for loving God and loving God's law, guess what? You're going to get along with more people and you're going to love more people. You're not going to treat them like dirt. But he's decided that God comes First. In every situation, in every set of circumstances, God comes first. Not your husband, not your wife, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your professor, not your employer, no one. God comes first. So I ask you this question. If you're a Christian, if you've been drawn to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you submitted to the Lordship of Christ, what is your relationship with him? Think back to Revelation. Are you lukewarm? Jesus wants to spit you out of his mouth. Or could you say, you know, I don't have a perfect relationship, but it's a growing relationship. It's like John talked about in prayer meeting this morning. It's a growing relationship. You're becoming more like Christ. The more you become like Christ, the more you're going to love God. Why? Because Jesus loves the Father. And the more we become like him, the more we're going to love the Father. The more we become like him, we're going to love the Word. Why? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. See? Just, i just leave you with this remember back in the Old Testament the children of Israel uh, you know they had one struggle after another I guess to be kind promised land lay right before them and they wimped out (laughs) I said man we can't go in there them boys are big It'd be like Ohio State playing Berea High School. They ain't got a chance. They didn't factor in God, did they? They forgot that God was on their side. They forgot that God had led them to this place. They forgot that God said, hey, I'm going to drive all these people out. Yeah, you're going to have to go in there and you're going to have to do a little fighting. But know this, I'm fighting with you. I'm fighting for you but they got scared and they they wouldn't go. So they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses died, Aaron died, Joshua takes over and still it it took them a long time to drive the people out of the promised land. And what's that last picture we have of Joshua, that great leader of Israel? He says to the people, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And see, that's the question that each and every one of us has to answer. Are you truly serving the Lord? Or are you double-minded? Do you have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven? Are you trying to hold on to what this world has to offer and still crave the blessings of God? It won't work. It never works. Never has worked. So when we read a verse like, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law, remember, that's not a bad thing. That's the greatest thing. He has chosen the greatest good. He has seen, he has gotten a glimpse of the glory of God, the value of God, and that changed his value system, and he was willing to... Discharge everything else in order to love God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. Father and Lord, these are challenges.